It was an international hit that potentially brought Canada's gang wars to tourist hotspots in Thailand. The violence left one man dead and sparked an international manhunt for at least two suspects. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Vancouver Sun crime reporter Kim Bolin joins me to discuss the victims' links to Canada's criminal underworld, what we know about the suspects, and what this assassination says about BC's ongoing gang war. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Kim, your reporting on the BC criminal underworld recently took you overseas following the trail of Jimmy Sandu, who was killed recently. Uh, Who was Jimmy Sandu and what was he known for in Canada? Well, Jimmy Sandu grew up in the Fraser Valley here outside of Vancouver. Uh, He was born in India's Punjab. He was sent to live with his grandmother when he was seven years old. So for all intents and purposes, you know, he was a BC guy. Started getting into trouble in school as a kid and then later, you know, developed some gang associations. Uh, He was convicted in 2010 and 2012 of some serious assaults and did some prison time. He also, in 2014, was charged with second-degree murder uh, for the fatal stabbing, um, kind of a random encounter, with the rival gang leader of the Red Scorpions. So he went to jail, uh, awaiting trial for a year, and then uh, that charge was stayed. Crown prosecutors here wouldn't really say why, but I heard that a witness who had agreed to testify changed their mind. So, you know, that was a big break for Jimmy. Uh, He got off on, you know, a serious murder case. Uh, But what did happen after that was the government began deportation proceedings against him because of the other crimes for which he'd been convicted. So he ended up having a deportation hearing uh, in late 2015. I covered that. At the time, he was living in Edmonton, claiming that he was starting all these uh, businesses, legitimate businesses, had changed his life around. He was married, uh, but the adjudicator wasn't buying it. And there was lots of evidence presented that he still had serious gang associations and was still involved in organized crime. So he was ordered deported and he was uh, forced to leave Canada in early 2016 and he was sent back to India. And despite being deported back to India, did was he still active in, in Canada's criminal enterprise? He was very active. Himself and a couple of associates, also from the Fraser Valley, sort of glommed on to the United Nations gang. You know, they were kids when that gang really got going in that area, but, you know, that is uh, the organization that they became connected to as they got older and began running drug lines here. Uh, So when he left Canada, it basically gave the United Nations gang an opportunity to expand even further globally. They already had some global links, but without a doubt, uh, Jimmy and some other uh, gang members that are living outside of Canada now, uh, you know, began sort of international drug smuggling for that operation. Jimmy was then arrested in India in 2018. Uh, He was facing serious drug trafficking charges there. He had been operating a ketamine factory to produce ketamine, you know, for the club scene. Uh, He got bail in that case, and he bolted. He was gone. He left India. And he's believed ever since then to have been circulating around Southeast Asia. Um, he, He, you know, was in Vietnam. He was in Cambodia. He was in Malaysia. But he would go to Thailand to meet with people, regularly, 
And he would often rent these luxury villas and stay for extended periods there. And so as mentioned off the top, he was killed in 2022. Um, and as you mentioned, he, he'd spent time kind of in, in these villas in various places in Southeast Asia. Where and when did Jimmy Sandu wind up dead? It was uh, one evening last February 4th in Phuket, Thailand. Uh, he was just returning in his little rented car to this lovely villa on the water that he had been renting since the previous November. He just pulled into the parking spot. It was quite remote in that it was, you know, a ways down into this hotel's property off the main road. Uh, just got out of the car and these gunmen burst from around a corner and shot him. He was hit 10 times. There was 19 rounds fired and he just lay there. And, uh, you know, we don't know if he died right away because his body wasn't found until 6.30 a.m., about eight hours later by hotel staff uh, the next morning. So, you know, this began this international manhunt for the Royal Thai Police and some of the local police in that area. Um, and, you know, it was pretty shocking for local people to have someone who, first it was reported he was Canadian because he had a false Canadian passport. Uh, well, it was a real Canadian passport, but it had been fraudulently obtained. Uh, so it took a little bit of time to figure out, out that he was an Indian national. Uh, but still, the RCMP arrived on the scene to help local investigators because, uh, you know, Jimmy's criminal history was in Canada, his gang connections were in Canada and are still in Canada. And as it turns out, after a few days, the investigation uh, started focusing in on two Canadians who had arrived in Phuket, allegedly to kill him. And so do we know what Jimmy Sandu was believed to have been doing in, in Thailand at the time of his death and why someone may have wanted him dead? Does it is it related to current business dealings or or past criminality here in Canada? I would say it was both. I mean, he was a high-profile person when he was here. Uh, the police had issued warnings, you know, if you're around this guy, you might accidentally get shot. Uh, so he And he is believed to have killed a leader of the Red Scorpion gang, uh, even though, you know, those charges ended up being stayed. You know, they weren't being stayed because evidence had pointed to another suspect. They were being stayed because uh, the Crown couldn't make its case because they lost a witness. So... You know, he had enemies here without a doubt. He was also deeply involved in international drug smuggling, including drugs that may have eventually arrived in Canada. So the Royal Thai police believe that it was other Canadian drug traffickers that wanted him dead because of a dispute over territory or turf. I think it was much more than that. He was someone that had enemies here. Our gang conflict has spilled into Alberta. It's spilled into Toronto. And it has resulted in international murders. This is not the first, and it's probably not going to be the last. We'll be right back. And what have we learned so far about the two men who were accused of killing him, or the two men police were looking for at the time? Well, it really appears that, you know, if they end up being, you know, convicted of this, uh, they were hired hitmen. They had no direct connection to Jimmy Sandu. Uh, I also learned when I was over there that there is a third suspect, also a Canadian, and they're, all three of them have links to the Wolfpack gang, which again is one of those rivals of the United Nations, which is Jimmy Sandu's criminal organization. So, 
it really looks like the plot was hatched in Canada, that these gunmen were hired, that they flew to Thailand. Uh, the two that ended up doing the actual shooting uh, made a lot of mistakes. I mean, the whole thing was captured on CCTV. Uh, lots of their movements were captured on CCTV. And the police have been able to put together a very compelling case uh, that has been filed in court in Alberta, and we've already had, you know, the first level of the extradition proceedings concluded with a judge saying, yeah, this case is strong enough to see one of the accused, Matthew Dupre, extradited to Thailand. The second man charged, uh, Gene Larkamp, went on the run. He was never picked up. He did return to Canada. He lives in Trail, B.C., and um, he ended up dying in this plane crash last April 29th near Sioux Lookout, Ontario. And it appears that himself, another man wanted in another murder, uh, were trying to somehow flee the country when this plane went down in bad weather. The third suspect, I, I know his name, I'm not naming him because he hasn't been charged yet. He's also believed to be out of the country. What I find really fascinating, and I'm still digging into this part of the story, is that all three are ex. Canadian military. Uh, they all appear to have been working in international private security after they left the Canadian Armed Forces. So, you know, that's something worth digging into for sure, you know, given that they were trained by our country. Yeah. And and as mentioned, you, you went overseas to follow some of this trail. What did you learn about Jimmy Sandu's movements leading up to his death? And as you mentioned, you know, as far as uh, the investigation into the killing went that the the people who pulled the trigger potentially made a number of mistakes. How did how did the people behind this or allegedly behind this spend their time there leading up to to Sandu's death? Well, if we talk about Jimmy Sandu, he uh, rented this villa in November, but he left Phuket, which is this gorgeous tourist island. But you know, he he left around Christmas. He was seen at a big New Year's party at a hotel in Bangkok. So we believe he was meeting people there. Uh, there was another United Nations gangster from Vancouver over there at that time who's believed to have been meeting with him. Uh, he also, you know, had a couple of women that would visit him fairly regularly uh, when he was staying there at the villa in uh, Phuket. So he then left the country to go to Malaysia because he, eight days before he died, he flew in back to Thailand on a private jet. Uh, so this guy had a lot of money. And uh, what Royal Thai Police determined is that uh, Malaysia had caught him doing something, and he was banned permanently from Malaysia just on that trip. But, you know, he was still had this Canadian passport, so he was accepted as a tourist into Thailand again, went to the villa, you know, was very, didn't have security or anything, was, you know, literally wearing a T-shirt and flip-flops and shorts, you know, when he was killed. Uh, I showed that to that video of the actual murder to some police contacts here who knew Sandu back in the day when he was active in the Fraser Valley. And they were kind of shocked at the fact that he was alone, wasn't taking any precautions, because here they said he never would have uh, been traveling around that way, right? So maybe he felt relaxed there. People believe he was having meetings with international contacts in the drug trade while he was in Thailand, as he did in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia. So that's sort of the Jimmy side of it, right? In terms of uh, the the people charged uh, with the murder, uh, the two military men, Larkamp and Dupre, 
arrived December 18th, uh, right on an international flight uh, to Phuket. Phuket is an international airport because it's such a hot tourist spot. And um, then they kind of disappeared. They're believed to have gone up to Bangkok. The major general with the Royal Thai Police away interviewed said he believes they got their firearms there in Bangkok, possibly through the third suspect. And they did some training there with the guns. They're also believed to have gotten intelligence because they clearly had very good intelligence about where Jimmy Sandy was staying. Uh, you know, they didn't have any trouble finding him. So they then stayed at a few hotels in the area for pretty well a month, right, before the murder. I went to all the hotels and sort of tracked their movements, asked hotel staff about whether they were, you know, you know, behaving in any kind of suspicious manner. And they said, no, they were just basically like regular guests. Um, yeah, aside from the fact that they would always go out at night, which isn't completely unusual in Phuket, but, you know, it was something that these hotel staff members recalled even months later. Uh, so um, everyone there has been cooperating with the investigation and, uh, you know, they've given statements to the police and uh, the evidence appears to be strong enough uh, to support these charges. And and as you mentioned, you don't get the sense that, that Jimmy Sandu was aware potentially that someone was looking for him or, or out to, to get him while he was in Thailand. How, yeah, I don't think he appeared to be fearful for his life in what we could see on the CCTV video in Thailand. You know, did he take additional precautions in other places in Southeast Asia? Possibly. You know, some people think he thought this was sort of his, like, safe place where he'd go to kick back a little bit. Uh, you know, it was a lovely hotel. He had a private pool on the top of the villa. overlooked the water. Very, very, you know, lovely place, right? And low-key. But, you know, these guys... You know, whether it's the actual people charged or someone else, we've seen the the CCTV footage of someone actually putting a tracker on his car two days before he was killed, coming back the next night, February 3rd of last year, and checking the tracker, and then returning February 4th, 10.32 p.m., and shooting this man to death. And as mentioned, this this... A lot of this was captured on CCTV. I assume that's how police zeroed in on these suspects? Well, for sure, that is how they zeroed in on them, right? There's a lot of CCTV footage across Phuket. Interestingly, it's not footage that anyone is looking at in live time, right? So it's too bad because this could have been prevented, obviously. But, you know, it still has been there to help the investigation. Some of it is public CCTV, some of it's private, some of it's personal. They even had dash cam footage. But when you look at it, we have a lot of it posted online now. You can't really tell who the people are. They're believed to have had, like, T-shirts wrapped around their faces when they actually did the shooting. So you just see their, you know, kind of uh, size, their build, um, their demeanor. But you can't tell who it is from from CCTV. But what it did allow was for police to sort of track their movements because there's additional footage, you know, as they're escaping, right? They were able to pull DNA off a barbed wire fence because one of them cut their leg. But they knew about that because it was it was on CCTV footage, right? So uh, some of the footage looks a little bit clearer, but what they're saying is that the DNA found on clothing that was discarded along the way had the blood on it, and it matched DNA in the vehicles rented 
by these two men in their real names with their real passports. So that that's fairly compelling. Uh, they also have fingerprints. Uh, when you arrive in Thailand, I learned this firsthand, the, it's the only country I've been to. They actually take your fingerprints right at the airport as they're taking your photo. You know, so you have to give your thumbprint and all your fingerprints. So they arrived right, you know, at international airports. So I don't know, it should have been a big hint to them that maybe, um, you know, if they are in fact guilty, um, that they should have worn gloves or, you know, taken some additional measures to hide their identity. And again, they left through the international airports, right? They, whereas people that I talked to there said it's very easy to cross the border into Cambodia on land, right? And that that's how a lot of people get in and out of Thailand. So people seem quite surprised uh, that they didn't seem to get that what they were doing would be very easily traced by police. And how seriously were were Thai police taking this investigation? It, it sounds like initially there was believed to be a Canadian uh, gunned down turned out to be a false passport. So, but I assume at some point, you know, Thai police might take these investigations quite seriously. They don't want tourists coming to their country, uh, and, and getting shot down outside hotel villas. Exactly. No, it's a very different kind of murder. I mean, you know, there is murder in Thailand. It's often local people that have a dispute as it would be, you know, in Vancouver, as it would be in Edmonton. So, uh, but something like this, where it's in essence, an international assassination, you know, people arriving from another country, country to go and take someone out that they have a dispute with was very, very shocking on one hand. On the other hand, it also had nothing to do with Thailand and, uh, you know, except that that is where the murder occurred. So, you know, the major general uh, of the Royal Thai Police telling me, look, you know, this was a crime of opportunity. They knew he was going to be there, you know, and the, the hitmen came from overseas and that's where they got him if it had been you know, another city in the region outside of Thailand, then, you know, that's where the murder would have occurred. So uh, it was very important for them to solve this uh, when they saw that the suspects were internationals. And like I said, the identity uh, was confirmed as Jimmy Sandu uh, by, you know, his criminal history in Canada. It was um, the RCMP arrived and aided in the investigation. And I think that that you know, was quite critical, uh, as the Royal Thai Police said. But they had a lot of people on it. They had um, 200 officers in the early days combing the area for CCTV. They found the firearms that were used in the murder had been tossed into the sea a short distance away from the villa. So those were recovered. Uh, They, you know, they did what I did. I kind of copied the police and went to all the different places where they're known to have stayed and talked to people uh, there uh, so, you know, it seems to be a strong case. Certainly, uh, an Alberta judge has said it meets the initial threshold uh, that, you know, to warrant this, this man's extradition. We'll see where it goes from here, because obviously he's got an appeal process. Yeah. And, and with regard to the extradition process, I know that there were concerns or at least concerns raised by his lawyers that, you know, he could be put to death in Thailand were he to be found guilty. Is that one of the big sticking points for Canadian officials as part of this process, whether he could be uh, executed for his role in this in this case? Well, for sure, that is always an issue when uh, a country still has the death penalty on the books. And, you know, death is the penalty for a murder conviction normally uh, in Thailand. However, again, I 
was told by officials in the government there that an agreement has already been reached to waive the death penalty in this case, meaning that if he was convicted, it would be life in prison. Uh, or perhaps another sentence, I mean, it would be up to a judge there to decide, but that the death penalty would not be on the table. So we'll see if that is formally registered here in Canada with the government, but um, I quoted people on the record saying this is not going to be an issue and that we understand, in fact, they're saying it's specified in our treaty, you know, that we won't ex- we won't execute someone uh, Canadian who's convicted of murder here. As someone who who covers organized crime in Canada as extensively as you do, what do you feel that this case says about the current situation in the BC drug trade and any ongoing gang conflict? Well, it's interesting because we call you know the United Nations, the Wolf Pack. We sort of called them like mid level gangs, right? Because they started off as local guys involved in the drug trade, making a bit of money, and then they expanded you know, first kind of across the region here on the Lower Mainland, you know, then across the province. Then, you know, we know that, you know, they've been operating in Alberta, other provinces. They've been operating in Ontario. But what's really happened now is this has become international organized crime. And they they are way more sophisticated than they once were. And they have the capability not only of, you know, arranging their own uh, drugs into Canada, their own transportation, um, you know, across the seas. They also have the capability of arranging and having a murder like this carried out on on the other side of the world, 12,000 kilometers away. So it's pretty shocking. And it is a statement as to how sophisticated our gangs have become. Kim Bolin, fascinating story. I appreciate your expertise on this matter, and thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Kim Bolin. More from her at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.